All right, good afternoon, everyone. Um, yeah, we're going to preach first this afternoon and then take communion together and go into time of worship. So, um, yeah, if you're new to the congregation visiting, I've got the wonderful privilege of leading the eldership team here at Devonville Morning Congregation. And, um, yeah, it's been a wonderful ride so far. God has done amazing things. So just before I get going with the sermon, um, I just want to encourage us. We've got that. We started the Friday morning prayer meetings. A couple of homes got open up 6 o'clock to 6.30. I want to encourage you at all possible, get involved there. Um, it's one 6 o'clock to 6.30 meeting for 2021. I'm sure everyone can do one. <laughs> and 6.30, 6 to 6.30, it's 30 minutes. 6 o'clock is a difficult time for everyone. For the mom that needs to get the kids ready for school, the mom that needs to go and work, the single person that needs to go and work, the dad that needs to go and work, the child that needs to go to school, 6 o'clock is it's early. <laughs> and it's difficult for everyone. So I want to encourage you. There's two more left for the, for the year. We'll put the, the venues and the contact person. I want to encourage you to get involved in one. We see in the... The book of Acts, the church met daily and fellowshiped um, and praying together. And I realize that it might be a different dynamic. Devonville is big, so there's a lot of venues all over. So I'm sure they would, you'd be able to find a venue close to you. And I, I remember some of the most impactful people in my life when I was in the Wellington congregation. We prayed every weekday from 5.30 to 6.30. There was prayer meetings going. Um, and... Um, some of the most impactful times actually came from that time. Is when you see an older lady in her 70s coming three times a week that time and just praying, trusting for revival. Um, those people have a huge impact. I don't remember a lot of sermons, but I remember a lot of faces. Um, and you can be one of those people for someone else in one of those prayer times. Or someone else can be that for you. So I want to encourage you, get their fellowship. Um, like I said, I remember the people more than the sermons. Good. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you're building a church um, and um, yeah, that you are actively involved in our lives. We realize we're humans. We sometimes do forget why we do things. And um, I pray this afternoon that you remind us um, just why we take communion together. What's the significance of it? Remind us again of your wonderful salvation. And I pray this afternoon that you'd restore the joy of your salvation. What a wonderful salvation, Lord. We have done nothing to deserve it. Um, and I pray, God, even where there's religiosity, where, where we've just been so used to Christian and church traditions, that it has blinded us to some of the wonder of what you've done. Would you come and expose that? Would you come and illuminate your truth? And that your truth will set us free this afternoon. Amen. Amen. Let me get the notes going here. Excellent. So this afternoon I'll be sharing on breaking of bread, understanding why we do communion. Communion is one of those things that we've been doing for ages. Some of you that have been saved for decades have been doing that a lot. And sometimes we miss why, the wonder of it. And um, we sometimes forget what it's all about. It can quickly become a ritual. There's a story about this more traditional church that every time at the end of the sermon they would stand together and they would sing a hymn. One hymn that they sang every single Sunday. But when they stood up, they turned to the side and they looked at the white wall, ugh, the white wall and they sang the song. And a visitor came there the one day and they asked, why are you doing that? And um, the guy's like, I don't know, we do it every Sunday. They asked a couple of persons in the church and no one knew why they're standing and facing the wall. Eventually got to the old man that's been in this church for decades. 
And he said, no, the, the words of this hymn was painted on the wall. So we always stood up, turned and faced the wall because we could read the words of the hymn. And then we sang it together. And then eventually the words just faded away and they painted over the wall a couple of times and we've just been doing that ever since. And um, that's the danger of something like communion. We can just do it and do it and do it and sometimes miss what it's truly all about. So in preparation, I stumbled on this wonderful picture from um, one of the American teachers, Bible teachers. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I won't say the name because I might lose some of you, um, but it's a good guy. And... Um, he shared how the Bible for him is basically a picture and a series of meals from the beginning to the end. I thought that's a wonderful explanation of the Bible, a series of meals. Because the first meal was the fall, and Adam and Eve ate of the fruit they weren't allowed to eat. God said of everything you can eat except of this one. And when they ate of that fruit, sin came into the world. And from that day, we all... Messed up. <laughs> We've got no hope. Sin came in and it corrupted mankind at the first meal. And then later on in the book of Exodus, we find this Passover. The Israelites, God's people, God's nation is captive by the Egyptians. And um, in order to get away, God said you must sacrifice a lamb, the Passover lamb. And then you've got to paint the blood of this lamb across your doorposts. And at the night, the angel of death would pass by, and your children will live. And then you'll be able to go out of Egypt. And um, so there's this, this meal that they took. Partook of the sacrifice of lamb, partook of the meat, painted the blood on the doorpost. And um, after that, they were free from slavery. And it's a picture. The Bible, the Old Testament, is a lot of pictures of what we, some of our realities we've got as people in the New Covenant. And um, the lamb was slain, and they partook of that lamb and they came out of slavery. And with that act of Adam and Eve, that first meal, we were captive by death and sin. And now we're waiting for a lamb to be sacrificed for us so that we can be free from the slavery. And um, so that was the second big meal. And then we find this third big meal called the Last Supper. Every time before I start with a diet, I call the night before the Last Supper, because <laughs> then I go in the straight and narrow. Um, so we always joke about this, Lizalde and I, so she would ask, is that the Last Supper? I'm like, mm, we'll see. <laughs> and um, so they have the Last Supper, and they um, sit around the table, and they actually have the, this feast, the Passover, the one that I just referred to. They're partaking of the Passover meal, and in that very moment as they partake of it, Jesus basically tells his disciples, he, he lets them in on a secret and he says, I am that lamb that will be sacrificed for your sins. Once and for all, my, body, my blood will be painted on that wooden cross. And because of that act, everyone that covers himself with that blood will surely live. They won't face death. And although our bodies perish on this side of eternity, we will live forever. Everyone that's painted with that blood. And he introduces them to that meal. And he says, as, you, as I introduce this, partake of this meal in remembrance of me. And I want to speak a bit about that meal. You can go to the next scripture. We see the early church after that. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to breaking of the bread, communion. 
So it's something they devoted themselves to. As Jesus instructed his disciples, do this as many times as you come together in remembrance of me. As we remember the, 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 the Passover lamb. Next one. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together. So it's something we can do in the temple courts as we come together like this, but also in our homes. We do it as a family regularly. We do it, um, and I'll tell you in a short while why, but we regularly come together and we partake of communion and we remember Christ. The next one. Um, and then something that we freebie, um, every time we take communion as a church, we should carry on till midnight. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. So every time we take communion on a Sunday, we'll carry on until midnight. <laughs> just joking. I just saw that. I'm like, wow. <laughs> That's devotion. <laughs> That's commitment. Um, okay, you can get that. So the, the early church... Church that we want to, that we believe is a blueprint for us, they were devoted to it. That's something that they did regularly. When they had meals together, I did it once. It was quite awkward. But you know, awkward doesn't necessarily mean wrong. So we had friends over for games and fun, and we had a meal together, and I just thought, let's stack communion together. You know? That was awkward. You know, everyone planned to play games. Everyone had their competitive juices going and I had to repent of your competitiveness and say, okay, well, let's take communion. Um, it was super awkward, but awkward doesn't mean it's wrong. And I want to encourage us, do a couple of awkward breaking of bread to moments as you have friends and family over in the life of the church. And let's push through the awkwardness and it will become part of our lives. That when we get together, if you have a bri, just before you pray, take communion together. Um, it's awkward, but it's not wrong. Um, it's just awkward because we're not used to it. And it's awkward for our flesh. So um, I just want to run through three points um, to consider as we partake communion to help us understand why we do it. The first point is to remember. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So we do it to remember. We remind ourselves of a past reality, that Jesus is the past over land that he did die on the cross for our sin, that we did nothing to receive forgiveness of our sins. He did everything, and he paid the price. He paid the price. You know, we humans, we forget. <laughs> God knows that. He created us, and he's fully aware that we forget. So we look at the beginning of the Bible, and with his people, he constantly tells them to put up something that will remind them of something that he's done. When the Israelites crossed over the Jordan, he set back down 12 stones as a memorial so that every time you come past there, you can tell the kids, this is a day God caused us to walk over this river into freedom, into the promised land. And throughout, God has these moments where he says, put up this memorial. The Passover meal, the Passover feast was also something of that for the people of God to be reminded. We forget. <laughs> we forget. Uh, a couple of years ago, we were in Durbanville for a couple of months, and um, we went to Bloemfontein on holiday, and just before Bloemfontein, my tire burst on the N1, and we spun, and we ended up on the side of the road. car was written off. It was our only vehicle. So we had a scooter, and that was it. And then we borrowed vehicles for about a month, five weeks in church, while we were looking for another car. So the one week, we borrowed someone's car, and then we had to take it back. So then we had to get on the back of the scooter to drive back home, 
So we had a Team T student stay in her house during that time. So Leo, he was about one year old, he stayed with her. And Lizalde and I went to get drop of the car and drove back with the scooter. And literally we were on our way to turn into the street that we were living. And the brakes didn't want to take. So I had to go back onto the painted, what do you call the middle maniki? The painted center aisle of the road. And a, a bucky was speeding, and I think when he saw us coming back in, he stepped on his brakes and he slid and he bumped us. And all I can remember is I was just flying in the end, just like, ground, ground, dish. And that was it. I still remember that. Flying and then just like, oh, yes, star, yes, star. And then you're lying. And then the first thought I had was, where's the Zaldi? And I look up and she was about a couple of meters on, or behind me, towards the scooter. And I look, and she's just lying there on the, on the tar, uh, a frightening sight. So I run over, and I realize, oh, there's some stuff that's hurt. <laughs> and I shuffle over to her, and um, luckily she's um, awake and conscious. And um, I don't know, apparently there's a, there was an ambulance close by, and the ambulance came and um, got us in. And I quickly noticed that Lizaldi has memory loss. Because when we, when we spoke to one another, she asked me, where's Leah? And I told her, Leah is in the house, literally around the corner from us. He's in the house, someone's looking after him. And um, she's like, okay. Two minutes later, where's Leah? Where's Leah? Where's Leah? And I had to explain to her, what happened? What happened? It was, um, and, she, and then she asked, what are we doing in Durbanville? Where are we? And I said, no, we moved six months ago. Two minutes later, where are we? Why are we here? Why are we here? Now we moved. And that went on for hours. It was quite scary. When we had to do the information, the, the nurse in the ambulance asked me, is there any, has she went through any trauma lately? And I said she had a miscarriage um, about a couple of, I think it was about two months ago. She's like, what? Did I have a miscarriage? And she was in a panic because she couldn't remember that she had a miscarriage. It was quite scary. I thought it's going to be like those 51st dates. I don't know if you've seen that movie where every day I'm going to pack out the stuff and then make her fall in love with me again. I really, that went through my mind because it went on for hours. And uh, <laughs> she better now. Even in the hospital. Um, so luckily, yeah, this happened probably about 7 o'clock. Yeah, about 11, 12 o'clock. She started remembering some stuff that I said. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I was getting ready for 6 o'clock tomorrow morning. Um, but luckily, she didn't, doesn't remember some of the stuff that happened around the accident, but her memory came back. Um, I thought that's, that's much how we live, the side of eternity. We live and something hits us, anxiety or worry, or we're faced with a difficult circumstance and it hits us. And as we process what just happened, we forget. We forget about what Jesus has paid for. We forget what we have access to because Jesus died on the cross. And when we take communion, it's a moment where we can just remember what He's done. And as we remember, our hearts get filled with gratitude. We remember, oh, He paid for my anxiety. He nailed my anxiety on the cross. And we can just lay down our anxiety, our worry, our fear, as we remember what He has done. We do forget. And we need these moments. And I, sometimes I preach and then I sit with someone a couple of days later and have a coffee. And I'm thinking, did you forget my sermon? <laughs> or did I, did, I, did I bore you? Because this will actually help you. And we just do forget. Because sometimes the voice of our reality here speaks louder than the truth.
And the more we do this, the more airtime we give to His voice. The more airtime we give to His reality, that past reality. And that confronts the lies that we need to deal with on earth. That confronts the noise of this world. And that's why we're going to do it as much as we get together. To remember, to remind us, and allow that reality to speak loudly to us. We do forget, and God knows, and he's put this in place to help us. Secondly, oh, there's some scripture, sorry. Let's just go through that scripture. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This is a cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. You can just carry on. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, um, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This is a cup. Did that just repeat? This, oh, that's, that's in 1 Corinthians. Sorry. <laughs> this is Paul referencing what Jesus said. And um, Paul speaks to the church and he says, I want to remind you of what Christ said. Do this in remembrance of me. Okay, next one. Secondly, we do it to reflect. So firstly, we do it to remember. And secondly, we do it to reflect. That moment when we take communion, we can revisit where we are at. We can repent of where we're at. Or we can realign to His truth. Or we can respond to his truth. And then we can allow him to, in that moment, restore us. It's a moment to reflect. It's a moment to reflect. Many times if you have a big occasion or a big a moment in your life, it's your birthday, it's your wedding anniversary, you're turning 30, you're turning 40, you're turning 50, you're turning 60, whatever the case might be. We normally have a moment where we reflect just on how life has gone. Or we look at the albums, our wedding albums or our family albums, and we look at that, and just for a moment we reflect where we were, what has happened, where we're going to. And in the same way, this is almost like a birthday celebration, a moment where we can just reflect and think, where are we at? Where are we at? And how much of the truth is within me. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I thought it's a wonderful thing. It's almost a moment where you can preach to yourself. As you partake it, it's a moment where you're preaching the gospel to yourself. And you can consider, where am I at? It also reminds you of the gospel, and hopefully it would stir faith in your heart to share it. Let's face it. Why don't we share the gospel? The main reason why we don't share the gospel, or two main reasons, is fear, and the other one is because we forget. Because if I ask us, who of you want to share the gospel, everyone would put up their hands. Because there's, there's, we all have real intent to do it. We want to do it. But we either fear of man, or we forget to do it. And this is a moment as we partake it, it confronts, both the fear and the forgetfulness as we proclaim the gospel in that physical act. So then whenever whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, 
will be guilty of sinning against the body of the blood. You can go on. Um, you ought to examine, um, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So it's a moment where we reflect, where we examine ourselves. This communion, this breaking of the bread, where it speaks about Jesus' body that was broken for us, and the cup, the wine, speaks of his blood. As we think of that, the message of that is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. So that's why when we have offenses with one another, we can't partake of this, because we're not actually applying the very thing that it's all about. And so it gives us a moment where we can examine and reflect and say, I'm going to partake of something that screams forgiveness. Have I forgiven people that have done me wrong? Have I forgiven people that have done me wrong? And so that's why we many times say, if, you, if you've got something against a brother, first go make right before you partake of this. Because you can bring destruction on yourself. You can bring, it speaks about judgment and sickness. Paul writes there, that is why many of you are sick and a number of you may have fallen asleep because they've done it in an unworthy manner and drunk judgment on themselves. So it's a moment for us to reflect and to repent. I've heard someone once said, I've got something against my brother, so I'm not just going to partake communion for the next while. I'm thinking, no, you're missing what it's about. It's not a cop-out to take, not take communion. It should confront you and say, if I've got unforgiveness, I've got to go deal with it right away so that I can take communion. I've many times heard Christian in the Christianese say that I'm not going to do this because I'm not allowed to, just so that they can cling to their sin. I'm not going to take communion because I just want to cling to my unforgiveness. The Bible says if we, if we harbor unforgiveness, we allow the enemy to torment us. And so we would rather sit under the tormentation of the enemy than repent and partake of this. I want to encourage you, if you've got something against a brother, set them free. Release them. Forgive them. Apply this truth so that you can partake of this with us. The wonderful thing about this is that anyone can do it any place in the world. Bread and wine or grape juice. It's accessible to people all over the world. We can even do it now in lockdown times. You just got to bring your own. <laughs> but in some way, God gave something that is so simple, so accessible, and irrespective of who you are. If you're the richest man in South Africa, or a servant somewhere in a place, anyone can partake of this, irrespective of who you are. If you've got degrees, if you're not learned, it doesn't matter. Everyone that belongs to Christ can partake of this. And I thought it's beautiful. Such a unifying thing. Anyone can take it. Irrespective of who you are and what you've done. As long as you belong to Jesus. So many times as a family, we did. I said we do it regularly. Especially times where I feel anxiety or fear. Something is coming. If, and I realize, okay, here's something. I just want to remind a family of what Jesus has done. We partake communion. Leo gave his life to Jesus when he was four, so he's understanding what's happening. Reese is four. Leo asked him the other day when we took communion, when are you going to accept Jesus? I did it at four years old. <laughs> and you're almost five. 
Like, I'm thinking, well, that's one way of sharing the gospel. <laughs> I was like, your, your time's running out. <laughs> and um, so they asked Reese if he wants to accept Jesus. He's like, mm-mm, not yet. <laughs> okay, okay. But he's still at an age where he's very young, where he doesn't. And so he's part of us. And so I'm using that as opportunities to share the gospel every single time we take it. Um, even his brother is concerned for his salvation. <laughs> And seriously concerned. It was so cute. So we do it to reflect. And lastly, we do it to rejoice. So we do it to remember. Take a moment to reflect. Where are we at? Have I applied the truth? Preach to yourself. And then you rejoice. You rejoice because of this. Isaiah 53 verse verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that we, our fault, that, um, that brought us peace was on him. And his wounds, by his wounds, we are healed. That didn't go well. Um, <laughs> and by his wounds, we are healed. So we rejoice because of his sacrifice. We are healed and we are set free. It's a moment we remember the big transfer that has taken place. There's a story about a, a guy called Carl MacDonald. I don't know if any of you heard about Carl MacDonald. But he is well-known. Not that well-known, it looks like it. But apparently he is well-known because he swapped, he traded a red paper clip for a house. A red paper clip for us. So he had a red paper clip and he said, I'm going to try and trade this for us. So his first trade was um, he was able to get someone that was willing to uh, trade a fish shaped pen for his red paper clip. And then he traded him for the pen. He traded the pen for a doorknob and a nice door, a hand sculpted doorknob and a door. And then he traded the door for the next thing. Eventually, he traded what he had for a, a, a part in a movie. And then he traded that for something else. And eventually, after one year, whatever he had, I think he had a... What did he have? They didn't say. But after 43 trades, he was able to trade the last thing he had for a house, a two-story house in Canada. It started with a paperclip a year later... He had a house, and he owned a trade it. When we take communion, we're reminded and reflect on one amazing trade. Our sin, our mess for his life. And that should make us rejoice. That we, that we are people that don't deserve forgiveness. We are people full of sin, full of mistakes. Yet he saved us and he paid the ultimate price for us. But we also remember and we also reflect on this. That as they took the Passover meal, they, they made a seed for the Messiah. They had a seed ready, an empty seed for the Messiah. And there was a moment in the Passover feast where they would consider that the Messiah is coming. And as we partake of communion... We rejoice because our Messiah is coming again. And there's a future hope as we partake of communion. 
We partake of Jesus. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Partake of me. This is my cup, my blood. Partake of me. As we partake of Jesus now, we partake of the one that died on the cross for us and that got buried and rose again and defeated sin and death. And we also partake of the Jesus that's seated at the right hand of the Father, victorious over sin and death. That is coming again. And that should give us reason to rejoice. So we remember, we reflect, and we rejoice. And that is what we do every time we come together and partake of communion.